Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Huzaifa, as always. Today, we are talking about science, but we're not talking about science with just anybody. We're talking about science with an individual that if you like education, you like education on YouTube, you definitely know who this gentleman is. We're talking about science with none other than Derek Muller. Derek Muller is the founder of Veritasium, which is an English language educational science channel on YouTube. The videos range in style from interviews with experts such as 2011 physics Nobel laureate Brian Schmidt to science experiments, dramatizations, songs, and a hallmark of the channel, interviews with the public to uncover misconceptions about science. If you check the channel out right now, it has over 4.6 million subscribers. So this is amazing because this is the biggest guest that we've had on the show yet, and I'm so excited. Not only am I excited because of the strength of the channel and how much great information is coming to the public from Derek, but I'm excited because I can tell that he shares a huge, huge passion for education and a huge passion for his particular flavor of education of science. Uh, mine would be math, though I love science as well. So without further ado, Derek Muller, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us. So before we get into before we get into Veritasium, tell us about your love of science. What is first of all, what is science to you? Well, <laughs> it's such a big question, obviously. I mean, I almost feel sometimes like, you know, science is it, it almost is unfair to it to give it a name because that sort of limits it to uh, feeling more narrow than it is. Like I almost feel like science is everything. Science is, is getting to the bottom of the way our world works. So really it is everywhere. It is everything. Um, I, I don't know if that sounds too all encompassing, but, but to me, I mean, obviously there's a, uh, you know, uh, different perspectives that you can look at it, you know, as a body of knowledge, as a way of thinking, um, you know, I, I think of it as all of that. It's, it's our way of not fooling ourselves, I think, uh, which is from that famous quote of Richard Feynman's that I, I love. So, uh, yeah, that's what science is to me. I noticed that on your YouTube channel, a lot of your videos in, uh, for the titles, they are questions. And to me, it seems like what you do really well is you find and ask really, really interesting questions and then you dive into them using all the tools at your disposal, great visual aids, great video work, uh, amazing narratives. So that's what I, that's what I know. Tell, how do you come up with some of these really interesting questions to ask? Like, for example, wh why, do, why are mosquitoes attracted to some people more than others? How, where do those come from? Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I think inspiration comes from everywhere. And typically the questions that I ended up asking and making videos about are ones that fascinate me. Um, you know, in the early days of Veritasium, I would often ask questions that were sort of common when I was going through school, when I was first studying physics, and I was sort of shocked to learn the answers. 
uh, of those questions. And then more recently, it's been more sort of the, the things that I'm just interested in right now. Sometimes it comes from reading a book or an article or talking to a friend. Um, sometimes it comes from a previous video. I did this video way back in the day where I was talking about the longest straw you could have. You know, the longest straw that will actually work vertically will be about 10 meters here on Earth because, you know, beyond that, the atmospheric pressure is not enough to push the water up the straw. Of course, it depends on your liquid, etc. But, but here on Earth, using water, you can have about a 10 meter straw. And then, you know, in the comments from that video, you know, some people pointed out, well, trees are more than 10 meters tall. So, you know, how do the trees get the water from the roots up to their branches um, if the straw can only be 10 meters? And, uh, and so, I mean, I'm not a botanist. I don't know anything about plants, but I was like, well, the trees are out there. That's true. Some of them are over 100 meters. Uh, so obviously there must be an answer to this. And I don't know what the answer is, but, you know, there must be an answer out there. And uh, I, I tried to read articles about it and I just never found anything that I found satisfying. And eventually I had an hour long Skype call with like a, a botanist, a tree botanist in Utah or something. And uh, he really laid out how this the whole thing is, is going down. So that led to a further video. So, you know, it's like, you know, one question spawns more. It's the way science works and that's the way these science videos work. So let's rewind a little bit. You're talking about how you come up with ideas. Let's go back to 2011. What was your inspiration to start your channel? Yeah, so I always kind of wanted to be a filmmaker. That's kind of, you know, if I had a vision for my life when I was 17, uh, it would be doing something like that. But I felt like that kind of career path was, you know, uh, really an awful choice, an awful life choice. So I didn't pursue filmmaking immediately. And I, I did things that I thought were uh, more sound career and, you know, personal decisions, I guess. So, you know, I studied engineering and physics at a Canadian university called Queens. And I went and I did a PhD at the University of Sydney. But at that point, you know, I was really trying to move towards the film thing. So I made my PhD about how to make films that teach physics. Um, then after that, I tried to get in, into film school unsuccessfully, um, ended up teaching for several years at a tutoring company in Sydney. And sort of in 2010, I finally had this realization where, you know, I could keep going on with things that were kind of like a backup plan or I could, you know, stop and actually do the thing that I had told myself I actually wanted to do, um, which was make films. And so that's what I did. Um, I kind of quit working full time at the end of 2010 and I was teaching about 15 hours a week to kind of pay the bills and uh, and I just started making YouTube videos starting with you know the basics of physics and and I had this vision for the channel which was going to be like you know all of science uh, from the ground up um, that was the plan and it's sort of diverged from that it's become more of just you know random interesting scientific bits about the world but um but that, that was really the start of it. And when did it start gaining a significant amount of traction? What was the turning point? Yeah, it's funny because I feel like, I feel like uh, if you're doing anything online, you sort of have this sporadic success. And you can almost never pick when it's going to happen. But it just sort of pops up. And even after it pops up once and you get excited about it, you know, then sort of people's interest can wane or, you know, the next thing is not as big and... So, you know, it's, it's kind of a roller coaster. Um, within a few months, I had posted this video about the distance between the Earth and the moon. 
Um, and that got some traction on Reddit, which has been really good for me over the years. And, you know, within a couple of weeks I had like half a million views and I just, I was over the moon and, I, <laughs> you know, no pun intended. And, and, uh, and yeah, it was just, that, that made me feel like it was worth continuing. Um, then, you know, six months later I had a success with a slinky drop video that I never, never thought would be as huge as it was, but it was, it was really big. So why do you yeah. think why do you think it's so important or not even important why is it why do people why do you think people grasp onto your videos so much or video the video medium in terms of understanding and learning science or learning anything new Well video can be very powerful um and you know I studied that for my PhD and it's not necessarily that there's something about the video medium that's better than others but typically when someone makes a video, they do put a lot of time and effort into it. And when you do that, you know, you typically make some of the best explanations and the best visuals that are possible to make and you put them out there. So, you know, I can understand that when people really want to understand something, you know, video is, is often a high quality place to find the information that you're looking for in a really sort of um, clear and, you know, a visual way, which I think is really important. What I think is really special about YouTube in particular is that it allows for so many educators and people with a passion about education and learning and teaching to come on and give their particular angle uh, on a certain concept, which gives students so much variety to choose from when they're trying to find somebody that they connect with and they can learn from. What I think that you do really well, what do you do phenomenally well, is the fact that you convey a sense of energy or excitement about the topics that you're covering because you are you're sincerely excited about what you're covering, uh, which I think is probably the reason why you have so many subscribers and so many views. So tell us uh, from your videos, I, I can talk about some of the videos that really caught my attention. What are some of the topics or videos that stand out to you above the rest that were like, man, that was so cool. I, I, that answer was so fascinating. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's a I, tough question I can, on the spot. And I can, um, I, can, I can tell you one right off the bat that was just cool yeah, to me. me. It, it was it, – it, I think there are other videos that fascinated me in different ways for different reasons. But one that I just thought was super cool was the one where you, where you touched the roundest object in the world. And I think it was made from oh, yeah. silicon. Yep. So tell us, tell yeah. us about that. How did that come about? So, I mean, scientists do some absurd things, but when they do them, they do them for a reason. And that's what I love. That's something I love about the way science happens. So these people had made like a sphere that was so round that, you know, you can hold it in your hand. It, it has a, a mass of a kilogram. Um, but if, if it were scaled up to the size of the earth, then everywhere would be flat and there would be no more variation over the surface of the earth than a you know, say 10 meters or something over the whole surface of the planet. So if you imagine how flat that is, I mean, that's how spherical they made this object. And the reason they made it was to try to redefine what a kilogram is, because up, up till, you know, including right now, uh, a kilogram is still defined as uh, the mass of a physical object, which is kept in a basement vault in Paris. And um, besides being kind of absurd, it's also not a very stable way to define a kilogram because that, um, that physical object can change. And in fact, we can measure that it's changing relative to, uh, in theory, identical copies. So these people wanted to make a perfect sphere of uh, a single type of silicon atom, silicon 28, and then 
count how many silicon-28 atoms were in there and redefine the, the kilogram based on uh, Avogadro's number, uh, that is the number of um, ad- atoms in a mole. So um, it, it was just such a fascinating object to be able to you know, come in contact with and to tell this story. It's just it, it's crazy the, the lengths and the amount of money that are spent to do this. But of course, it's so important because that's the foundation of science. So, yeah, absolutely. That was uh, one of the most fascinating videos I've been involved in, for sure. But they said it was priceless, and then they let you hold it. I was really surprised about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there are outtakes. I I cut down the section where I was begging the researcher to let me hold it. (laughs) But I knew that for the Internet, you know, you have to get your hands on it. Not not to mention the fact that, like, I personally just wanted to, to hold it. But... She was saying, like, normally that sort of thing is reserved for heads of state. But I think she recognized that we could get, you know, a lot of eyeballs for this video. Uh, And so maybe that's why she let me hold it. But she really, really didn't want to. And so I had to use all of my, uh, you know, uh, coercion um, to try to, like, to hold it. And then when I held it, I held it for literally five seconds. So the entire time I held it, all of that is in the video. And maybe you know, with, with double takes and stuff to try to draw out that length and make it seem like I was holding it for a while. It's like, no, I picked it up and then I was scared. Like literally the, the thing is probably worth over $10 million. Um, so I very quickly put it back down and very carefully, um, because yeah. Did they make you sign, did they make you sign away, uh, some, some sort of term sheet or something like if you dropped it, anything like that? They did not, but if I did, I mean, I don't think I would be here talking to you. I think I would be in a lot of trouble. That's it so- would be a big, big mess. There's, there's, a, there's another video that I really love that I feel like is one of the most valuable videos that I've made, um, and it's called Can You Solve This? The thumbnail for it is, uh, is the numbers 2, 4, and 8. And it's, it's what I just think is fascinating about it is it's a little number game where you're trying to get people to kind of like guess the sequence, figure out how it works and that sort of thing. And what's amazing is just how much people's brains don't work in the way that would be most effective scientifically. That is, people seek to confirm what they already believe rather than seeking to kind of disconfirm what they're thinking. And it's that kind of bias that I think is so important, so powerful. And I just think that video encapsulates that idea really clearly and, um, you know, tangibly in in a just a four minute video and it really communicates something deep about the scientific method um so that's that's one of the videos that i think makes the greatest contribution out there to sort of science teachers um if they're thinking about you know how do you teach the scientific method because otherwise it can be kind of boring and can be like this weird abstract process but when you actually see people playing with this little number puzzle um i think it really powerfully demonstrates the idea I think another important video that you made is the the one about the misconceptions about science. Can you talk a little bit about that video? Yeah. So, I mean, this is just recently, I, I kind of summarized the work of a, a researcher named Thomas Kuhn, who wrote a book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, which I think is considered one of the most significant books of the 20th century. And I read it while I was doing, doing my PhD, and I found it really eye-opening. And I thought why haven't I heard about this before? I guess somehow it just, it it evaded me through my education. So in this book, he kind of outlines how science 
I mean, one one model for how science progresses would be that it's kind of like evolution, a slow, gradual process um, that sort of, you know, it's not always forwards, but it's, you know, can be two steps forward, one step back. You know, in science, it's, it's sort of we're battling to beat back ignorance and, and uncover the truth. And the point that he makes in the book uh, is kind of that there's two different regimes of science, one where you're sort of doing that gradual process of moving forward, and then other times when you're doing revolutionary science, when the whole foundation of, of what we think in a field is totally changing, uh, so much so sometimes that you can almost not compare before and after. It's almost like uh, there's a total shift, you know, like a... I don't know. It's, it's so foundational to how we talk and how we consider, you know, what's a valid question and what's evidence. Um, that's what happens in revolutionary science. And for me, I think about the revolutions like the, uh, the revolution into quantum physics from classical physics. You can't even talk about quantum physics really appropriately using the language of classical physics because everything kind of breaks down. Um, so... I think that's a really powerful idea that, that, you know, it sort of brings in this human element to science because science isn't just something which is purely objective. It is also the work of a community and it's the work of, of people. And it has, you know, all of those human aspects to it. As much as we try to, you know, relegate our subjectivity or, or keep it in check, um, there are still sort of social and cultural forces within science that uh, shape, you know, the way that science progresses, particularly these, these revolutionary moments. I think it's also interesting the point that you alluded to when discussing that, and correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but it's, it's not this steady uh, uphill climb where we're constantly getting closer and closer maybe to, to the truth. There's a little bit of – there's ups and downs, peaks and valleys throughout that quest where we go farther, closer, but overall – Overall, we're probably moving in general towards towards the truth, but it's not yeah. a smooth trail. Right, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's for sure not a smooth trail. It's not a smooth trail at the best of times. But, you know, at these times of great discontinuity, um, then you can make huge leaps. And I, there's this part of the video that I cut out that I didn't put in there, but, you know, in a sense, we know that we're headed for another big revolutionary science period because we know that sort of general relativity and quantum mechanics don't work well together. So in a sense, we have this anomaly. We have these problems with our theories, um, and we don't know how to solve them yet. But at some point, you can imagine that th these are such foundational issues that we're going to have to have a massive revolutionary period in science to really solve this problem. Um, I have confidence that we'll get there. It's just a question of when. Now, if parents are listening to the show and they're, they're, they, they know that their kids have a or could have a passion for science, but they're not finding it or they're having difficulty in school, they're disengaged, what would be your advice to those parents or to those kids to to under, to to try and develop that because I think really anybody can find a passion in the science is so broad and there's so many amazing different intricacies of it that are fascinating to different people what would be what would be your advice I would say a few things um, one is that I just reject when people say I'm not a science person I'm I'm not a math person and if you have uh, someone a, a, you know a child or anyone who's in that mindset I think the first part has to be dis to dissuade them of that. Um, 
I think that that concept of how we think and learn um, is maybe one of the most damaging. Um, this concept of like, I just can't do that. That that is you know really limiting and prevents people from putting in effort, from persevering, and uh, yeah, it becomes really difficult. Um, besides that, I would just try to focus on interests of any person or any child, you know, even though most people or, you know, a lot of people I run across are not necessarily 100% into science. If you start talking to them about the roundest object in the world or what it's like to sit in the quietest room on the planet for an hour in the pitch dark, you know, people can get into those things. And then that's a way into science. So for me, you know, a lot of these things like I had this video do like 70 million views or something, just throwing a basketball off a dam with a little bit of backspin. It's like these things are relatable. They're relevant to people, but you're also showing them something they've never seen before because that basketball, as it falls, just takes off as if it's flying, just takes off forwards. So uh, it's absolutely nuts. And then I use that as a way into talking about the Magnus effect. So um yeah, I think it's definitely important to consider people's interests and really, I don't know, I, I feel like you don't have to push a science view on people. You just have to explore their interests in a deeper way than they have before. And at some point you hit science, you know, when you dig deep enough. And the great thing about c content on YouTube or other areas on the internet is that you can pick and choose a little bit based on your interests. And I, of course, feel the exact same way about math, which you mentioned, that, that whole idea of I am a math person or I'm not, because I think mm. that comes up even more often in math and is very frustrating, but that's exactly right. So I 100% agree with that perspective. It's, in fact, the whole foundation of my philosophy and teaching. So thank you uh, for saying that. Mm. So if people want to come and check out your content, how do, they, how do they find you? How do they get to your YouTube channel? So, yeah, youtube.com slash veritasium. Veritasium is kind of a weird word uh, that I made up, um, which is Latin for truth, veritas, and then the ending of an element, which is I-U-M. So just put those together, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's my channel. So, I, guys, I've checked this channel out a lot. It's so much fun to jump around and pick different videos. The, qual the quality, first of all, of the production is phenomenal. And which makes it even better. But Derek is great and the, the questions are really cool. So I definitely recommend that you guys all check this channel out ASAP. Uh, by the way, if you didn't hear that, well, of course, it's a podcast and you can rewind. But if you'd like to instead click on the link and go straight to the channel, you can do so in the show notes. The show notes can be found at scalarlearning.com in the podcast section. And guys, make sure to check out our newest math music video. It just dropped. It's all about exponents. So make sure to check that out, uh, especially if you are prepping for the SAT or ACT upcoming very soon. Uh, Derek, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure to have you on. I can't even believe you agreed to come out to the show. Uh, you're, it, it's, it's huge and it's an honor. So thank you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to be here. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for chatting to me. Absolutely. Guys, make sure to check out podcasts every Monday when they come out and make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. Thank you guys so much for joining and I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy. Scalar, learning, give me that scalar.